Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here, the number one show at 5 o'clock. We, we, uh, you hear things here that even the KGB uh, listens in to find out what's going on. What about Chinese intelligence? And Chinese intelligence listens in. And, and the uh, Fed chair. And, and the Fed chair. Yeah. You're absolutely right. What about Saudi Arabia? Uh, we have... Uh, we have uh, <laughs> Judge Richard Weinberg in the studio, and we have uh, uh, the king, the king, Peter King, a former congressman, uh, King's Highway might, might have been <laughs> named after him, and Lydia Serrani. Uh, now, there was a big, a big, big decision in court today on this Alex Jones. Right, the Alex Jones case. Now, I, I admit, I think the guy's a little bit of a nut job. Mm, a lot. Uh, uh, well, maybe a lot of another job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But why didn't his lawyer declare insanity? I mean, did he have any proof at all? Now, this Alex Jones was the people tell tell half our audience probably doesn't know who Alex Jones is. Alex no. Jones is a radio host. He's a conspiracy theorist. He's a, a shock jock, and he said that the Newtown school massacre, where those poor children were lost their lives. He said that it was a hoax, that it was made up. It never up. really happened. It never really happened. Now, he's full of crap, but, I mean, he, he didn't have any proof at all, nothing? No. He, he was, was just making stuff up, making stuff up to get yeah, ratings. So, crap. And so, I, so it, it, you know, he had to be a little bit insane. Or um, evil. Why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't his lawyer just say, take the insanity uh, plea? Because, yeah, because it's a civil case. Some it's a civil people case. don't know. Right. They ruled a billion dollars against him. A billion. A billion dollars. I mean, uh, what happens? Does he, can he file bankruptcy? Sure. But no, he, the question is, did he hide assets? Did he have fraudulent conveyances to try to yeah, but hide the, assets? Yeah, but would the bankruptcy uh, void the uh, no. billion dollars? No, they, they just become judgment credit. Literally, period. Congressman King, Congressman King, lawyer, what do you say? Become judgment creditors. Basically, you get a minimal amount to uh, keep for yourself, and everything else goes to your creditors. So if tomorrow he got a million-dollar book deal... That would go to his creditors. Well, if I move to New Zealand, uh, uh, the place uh, worse than death, would that would that would, 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 would it have depends to find on the country. It? Most countries have reciprocity. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, so also, you need, you need a country that has no reciprocity. Well, yeah, but but New Zealand has good sovereign. Will, will they take their passport? His passport away? No, 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 it's a civil case. But also, Joe, you talk about insanity. Even in a criminal case, there's a high bar you have to pass to prove insanity. That's right. The congressman's absolutely right. Yeah. It's not, it's not so easy. It's easy well, to say. Now, tough I mean, now to what is he doing now, Lydia? I'm getting the soundbite right now so you can hear from the horse's mouth. I want you to take a listen to Alex Jones. He responds to the to the judge's decision that he owes now a billion dollars in damages to the Sandy Hook families. Take a listen to Alex they Jones. They want to scare everybody away from freedom and scare us away from questioning Uvalde and what really happened there or, or Parkland or any other event. And guess what? We're not scared and we're not going away and we're not going to stop. And literally, for hundreds of thousands of dollars, I can keep them in court for years. I can appeal this stuff. We can stand up against this travesty, against the billions of dollars they want. It's a joke. So please go to InfoWarsStore.com. All right. Is that his website? Yeah, yeah. He's trying to get donations. That's right. That's right. That's why I cut it off. Uh, Is Joe on the phone yet? Yes. Where the heck is Joe? Joe. Jersey Joe Piscopo. Let's hear that beautiful voice. Joe Piscopo. Hey, 
John Katsimatidis, Joe Piscopo, live from Philly. I'm in the dressing room of the legendary Blues Brothers. We are raising money, John, as you always do so well for the uh, at-risk, challenged community in Kensington, Philadelphia, a great school called the Liguri Academy. And I'm here, and I stopped everybody. They just called. They said, Joe, you got to come up to the stage. We're having a rehearsal. I said, wait, John Katsimatidis is on the phone, and we put everything on hold. John, how are you? Great to hear your voice. But you're in Philadelphia. Make sure that the only place that killed more people in New York is Philadelphia. <laughs> Through Chicago. And Chicago. And Chicago. Big three. You know, what? you know what? You're right. But I, as I said to uh, Mike Marone, the head of the Gory Academy, and I see the great kids here. It's what we did in Newark. It's what we did in Camden. It's what, you, it's what we try to do. You help out these challenged areas. It may take a generation. I just wish John and uh, Judge and Peter and Lydia, I, w- I wish that the politicians, aside from the great Peter King, you know, understood that. Peter and I had many conversations about how to stop the crime, you know, out in Long Island. And that's what we're trying to do in Philadelphia with my friends down here. Well, I hope you you tell everybody, make sure you vote for the right people so we can have uh, peace and and tranquility in our cities. Hey, Joe, it's always great talking to you. Yeah, I'm really glad you talk to Irish guys every now and then. It means a lot to me <laughs> that, that you include us. I'm listening to John. You got the Irish guy, you got the judge, you got the Jewish guy, and then you got the Greek. You just needed an Italian. We have an Albanian here, too. There yeah, you go. Lydia's Albanian. Actually, uh, Joe, you may know, you know the last few days have really been tremendous morning for Bernie, uh, you know, Bernie McGurk. Yeah. I know that you had a great regard for him. Yeah, Bernie was the best. He was such a sweet guy. And don't forget, when he I met him over at Fox, like I talked about uh, on my show on Sunday night, Sundays with Sinatra's show, is that when Bernie was with, he was with uh, Bill O'Reilly. That show, people forget, Congressman, O'Reilly was he was crushing it. He was the yeah. number one far and away on all of television. And Bernie was right with him. And I remember I'd walk down the hallway from one hit to another hit at Fox. And there's Bernie, nice, laid back, always, always uh, encouraging always positive, and that's an anomaly these days, especially in this media, Congressman. No, I mean, uh, to me, Bernie was always always the best guy. He never looked down on anybody. I never saw him go after anybody. He was just a right. great guy to be with. And also, when O'Reilly had him on, to give Bill the credit, it was during those times that Bernie was having some rough times, too, uh, with everything going yeah. on at, uh, you know, with Imus and everything else. And uh, Bernie Bernie did great on those shows. And then It, it was. Hey, you know what? And I love, and I and my condolences to, to, the, to the McGurk family, but to Sid as well. I know Sid was rock, but I got to cut to the parade, the Columbus Day Parade on Monday. John, did you hear the shout-out that I gave WABC? I heard the shout-out. I, I watched a video that that, that was that Margot recorded, and I yeah. saw you in the streets with at least 5,000 people behind you <laughs> listening to you sing. It was the best. And then my favorite moment, guys, my favorite moment, Lydia, do you know when, when Sid comes down in the convertible, <laughs> Sid, called, Sid texted me, Sid Rosenberg texted me. I love this guy. He goes, Joe, can you get me FaceTime? John, I'm going to call the director's booth and go, hey, when Sid Rosenberg comes down to parade, make sure you give him a shot. Well, sure enough, I'm in the booth with Maria Bartiromo and Kenny Rosado. We're live. We're bantering back and forth. Who comes? It's Sid in the convertible. And then I see that director takes a shot and he's on the video screen and i went and i said i said i said hey sid sid who's your man man come on did i do this or what <laughs> sydney looked at himself on the screen it was like the greatest he thing fell in, in love all over him. again he fell in love with <laughs> <laughs> he's like the, he, <laughs> sounds like a greek myth hey joe is there any way <laughs> I, I i look at sid and i it reminds me of apollo the god apollo Right. What was that Greek god that would look at himself, uh, his reflection, and fall in love with Adonis? What was it, Adonis? Adonis. 
Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah Joe Piscopo, is there any so chance we can get you to do the St. Patrick's Day parade? <laughs> yeah, you're. Uh, you know, I'm with it any time. But I got the good thing was, you know, I got just got back from from Italy uh, with the Perillo right. tour guys, and they were and Italy's got its mojo down. They're in the groove. They're really, they're back. They're back. Rome is back. Sorrento is back. Uh, Florence is jump. Venice is jumping. And, and in New York, we're having trouble getting jump started. So I will have to take credit, Congressman King. I know you're Irish, and my kids are half Irish, and I love you. But the Italians brought New York back with that parade. I agree. At, on Monday. And it was great that WABC was there. How much Angela Vivolo and the Columbus Citizens Foundation who sponsors the parade and a shout out to ABC seven in New York. They did a great job covering it. And I feel like the city came back a big way because of the parade, guys. I, actually, Joe, I watched the whole thing on television, and brother Angelo had the best restaurant in New York, and Maria Bartiromo, and you, it was Dr. Rock Positano who got me introduced to both you and, and to Maria, so we all out to rock. I don't know how you feel. Maybe you're mad at Rock for Joe, doing it. Joe, are you busier on Columbus Day or Father's Day? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, going up and down the turnpike to every exit with all my kids. That's a tough one. <laughs> I love Joe Piscopo. A lot of exits on the turnpike, Joe. The first time I ever saw Joe Piscopo, he was singing at John's birthday. It was like two years ago. And I just couldn't believe you're so good. You're just oh, like how you were like oh. back in the day. It's like the same. Oh. You don't age your voice, the way you can play the guitar, the drums and everything. You were just born. I think he came out of his Let mother entertaining. Don't fall in love again. <laughs> no, he's a born entertainer. I got to give it where credit is due. That's what all the women say, yeah, Joe. They say he's great. I know. Uh, that's why he's got so many kids. No, we have. <laughs> How many kids do you have that you know about? <laughs> yeah, I no, and then you know what? When we were at the Tunnel to Towers event, the great event, Frank Siller and the Siller family does that beautiful event, the Tunnel to Towers 5K run and walk, 35,000 people. And Lydia, to your point, uh, it, it, Frank looked at me, man, and it, we ran it like a military operation. It was so successful. So many people. I, I mean, at ground zero with the Gold Star families, the catastrophically injured, all the great things that, that the uh, Tunnel to Towers stands for. They go, Joe, you're up. New York, New York, baby. Let's go. Like that. That's I got 35,000 people, man. I stepped by the grace of God. We stepped up and we crushed it. You know, it's, I tell you, John, I always appreciate it. And I know you hear it a lot. You lead the way. And I know the judge and Lydia and congressman feel the same way. And everybody at WABC, you led the way, man. You, you, you're, you I am looking for, you know what I'm looking for? December 12th. Yes, baby. We're going to December 12th. Sinatra's birthday. Come fly with me. <laughs> Let's fly away. Oh, we are going to rip it up big time, John. It sounds good. Go, you know, let's start planning it soon. You got it. Guys, I love you. I'm going to be with Danny Aykroyd and Jimmy Belushi, the Blues Brothers, helping out kids in Philly. And I'll be back tomorrow. Love you. Send in love, John. Thanks for everything. Love you guys. You're the Take man, care. Joe. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And the man with that breaking news is none other than John Solomon, intrepid investigative reporter with AdjustTheNews.com. That's AdjustTheNews.com. John Solomon, what do you have for us? There is a lot of uh, news breaking out here today. Uh, perhaps the most current thing breaking right now, a 
jury in Connecticut is currently reading the total amount of money that Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist, radio host, is going to have to pay all the families uh, in Sandy Hook for his denial of the Sandy Hook shooting massacre. Uh, the first few verdicts, uh, or first few um, awards, and they're still reading through all of them, tens of millions of dollars per family. This is going to be close to a half billion dollar uh, award, it looks like, with the way the jury Does, he, is, is does he have that kind of money? No, but it will it will indenture to him that whatever he earns in the future, he'll have to be paying this down for the rest of his life, and so it is. But a, if he files yeah. if he files bankruptcy, does that mean uh, it gets wiped out? I don't think so. I mean, every bankruptcy can be different, but usually federal jury awards stay on your your record for a long time. He's going to. Uh, obviously, bankruptcy is one of his many options, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, it is a really significant uh, verdict, one of the largest, I think, defamation verdicts in American history for sure. Uh, and that's just the beginning of the day. Talking of big numbers, how about the, do- the million dollars? The million dollars that the FBI offered to pay its former informant, the Hillary Clinton paid MI6 spy Christopher Steele, if he could prove that his dossier was true. Think about that. The FBI uses the dossier to get a search warrant, uh, actually a FISA warrant, even larger than a search warrant, against the Trump campaign and Carter Page, and they can't corroborate it. They submit it anyways, and they're behind the scenes offering Christopher Steele a million dollars if he could prove it. By the way, he didn't take him up on that. And as we now know, the, the dossier wasn't provable. It was uh, often inaccurate disinformation. Uh, John Solomon, stuff. that million dollars, that million dollars, is that taxpayer dollars? Where would the FBI get a million dollars oh, yeah. and who would authorize that? Uh, out of your mind pockets. And so the, the, US, uh, the uh, FBI manual says that uh, for awards of $100,000 or less, a uh, FBI special agent in charge of an office can do that. Above that, it's got to go to headquarters, meaning that somewhere in the McCabe Comey uh, leadership team, someone had to approve that large of a money. Let's put that in perspective. There was just a uh, shooting of a uh, at an FBI agent in Georgia. The award for that was twenty thousand dollars. The people came forward. The million to five million dollar range is usually reserved for the most heinous, most wanted terrorists. Uh, on the FBI's most wanted list. So they were willing to pay to get dirt on Donald Trump, what they normally pay to get a terrorist. That's how desperate the FBI was in the fall of 2016. By the way, one month before Election Day, two weeks before they told the FISA court they had verified this information uh, that they used from the dossier in the FISA warrant, uh, that latter thing wasn't true. That's a very big part about this. Wow. And uh, talk to us about... uh the seven times disinformation turned out to be just the opposite from the Hunter Biden laptop to the origins of the COVID-19. So to me, that was a great all encompassing article because this also brings to light what's going on in California, that they want to punish doctors and take away their licenses. If the state deems whatever their uh, whatever advice they're giving is is so-called disinformation. But we know it changes. It does. And, and that's the danger of allowing partisans to be referees of what's truth and not truth, because oftentimes they only want to believe their values are true and they're not willing to really look at the factual basis. And we have had many of these. My, one of my great colleagues, 
Um, Aaron Kliegman put this together. Seven examples. There's many more, but these are seven powerful ones. We know the Hunter Biden laptop because we've all talked about it, but that's a really good example. The denial uh, that there was any evidence that the COVID-19 virus could have leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. The intelligence community has now reversed course on that, but that was a conspiracy theory for a while, uh, at least under official elitist uh, terms, uh, that there were nothing wrong with the COVID-19 vaccines uh, and that it would stop the transmission of the virus. We, we just had testimony in Europe yesterday where one of the drug companies who made the thing, we did, so they didn't even test to see if it would stop transmission uh, of the virus. Uh, but we were told a lot of things about what the viruses could do, which now we know from the CDC and from Deborah Burks and others were not true, aren't true, didn't prove to be true. That's a big one. Um, the uh, National Guard wasn't called on, on January 6th, according to some people, it actually was. In fact, the first time it was offered to Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police was January 2nd, four days before. But for a while, that was a conspiracy theory. If you believe uh, that, uh, there's some other really good ones there all the way through. Um, there are no irregularities in the 2020 election. That's one of my favorite ones because I have put together a list of 30 verified illegalities and irregularities, some of them quite large, that occurred in battleground states, including the fact that Iran hacked into a voter database and stole 150,000 voter IDs in 2020. Remember, right after the election, the director of our Homeland Security Cyber Security Division said there were no incidents in the 2020 election. That wasn't true at the time he said it. It wasn't true. They already knew Iran had hacked and took 150,000 voters' identities and used it to try to influence the election. So those are some of our wow. favorite ones. And uh, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, how could he not be in in some deep trouble after now we know that he knew from the beginning that that whole Border Patrol whipping the migrants narrative was false from the get-go and those guys were still punished and people, I mean, my God, what happened to them? And it turns out it was not true and Mayorkas knew it wasn't true right from the get-go. Tell us all about it. Well, listen, I knew it wasn't true, and I reported it within the first six hours of that coming out because I had the manual. I actually had the Border Patrol manual, and it shows the use of those reins to create a security clearance around the horse as an authorized tactic. What the, what the reason they were doing it was to keep people far enough away from the horses that they wouldn't be trampled. They actually were trying to protect the migrants in that situation. That was the tactic, and by the way, it was approved by the Biden administration. So we knew from the beginning, he clearly knew. There's no one in the Border Patrol leadership that would have told him anything other than that, and now we have it confirmed that he did, in fact, know. But listen, this is a guy that has no problem saying the border secure when you and I can see with our own eyes people walking across it. Uh, we can see the number of 600,000 gotaways. That's not a secure border. Um, two million John, John Salmon, the information coming across the tape now says that Alex Jones is close to a billion dollars. Now, let me yeah. ask you a common sense question. Did this man intentionally do it? Was it was it stupidity? Was it intentional? I mean, a billion dollars is almost a life sentence to pay these people. Oh, it is. Listen, it will it will finish any chance of earnings he has for the rest of his life. Uh, listen, the jury believed that this was such a heinous set of statements that it warranted such a large penalty. Keep in mind, these are parents. Did he have any any defense? Freedom of speech. That's what he was trying. Yeah. He had no defense. In other words, he had no conspiracy theory. No defense. No, no. 
Uh, not at all. In fact, I think at the end of the day, he apologized for what he did, so he owned it. Uh, but the, the financial penalty here is extraordinary. Like I said, this will be most likely the largest um, defamation award ever given. I'm sure there's going to be appeals and it's going to go back to the court system. But uh, a, peri, uh, a, a jury of peers has really denounced this sort of making up stuff just for shock jock value, which that's what the jury took this as, and that's why the penalty is so large. But it's a reminder to all of us, we live in an era where words matter and facts matter. Uh, and and things that are called disinformation that aren't are just as harmful. I like the Hunter Biden laptop. Think about how that changed the outcome of the election. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com for always your great details and facts and uh, Keep on telling the truth. Thank you. I will. Thanks, guys. God bless. They're, they're Welcome back. Oh, that's that was some interview with John Solomon. I want to take it back. To he always the, comes up with some great stories, doesn't he? Abs- well, he's he's a great investigative reporter and he sticks to the facts. I was just looking online and Alex Jones was actually celebrating as the verdict was being read. So this guy doesn't seem insane. He just seems pure evil. I'm sorry. Well, to celebrate when you get a billion-dollar verdict against you, I mean, you got to be a little insane. Yeah, but look at the context. You have these grieving parents who've lost their children, and he thinks this is a joke. What's wrong with that? You don't lie about murdered children. I was there as a reporter for Fox when this happened in Newtown, and we were across the street because you, you couldn't even get – you could hear the wails and the screams from the parents as they congregated around the school. So there was nothing fake about it. Uh, the whole ridiculous. I don't think anybody in the world thought it was fake, except Alex Jones trying to peddle a story. So, Well, back here to New York City, there's a story that's come out. The mayor, Adams, has said that the migrants aren't just going to be a Randall's Island, that no borough will be spared. What do you guys think about that? Does that mean we're going to have a tent in Central Park? Could be. What do you think, Congressman King? Well, you can't really have a tent because the cold weather is going to come. To me, you should be fighting the White House. I mean, they're going to overwhelm us. And you can be the most pro-immigrant person in the world, the most humane person in the world. To be having people come in like this, we can't take care of our own homeless. When I met with Eric Adams on uh, Sunday afternoon, Mm -hmm. I suggested to him as something I heard on Frank Morano's show, that he should call the the White House and get uh, an old aircraft carrier. You could sleep 10,000 people on that and park it off of uh, not any of the boroughs, park it off of Governor's Island. But all of that's still, again, that's, that's better than what he's talking about now. But we got to fight back. That's all we're doing. They'll send more. How many aircraft? But it's not about just where they're sleeping because they're already overwhelming the New York yeah. City public school system. Right. Who's going to give them that's, the health care? Who's going to feed these people? They're not just going to sit in this aircraft. It's out of, it's out of control. It's out of, it is. They're not just going to sit in one place all day. The real, they're human beings. It's out of control because the real issue is the failure of the Biden administration exactly. to enforce the laws and keep our nation safe. That's where the failure is. And all this other stuff is pure is pure nonsense. Protect the borders, put up the wall, have a legal system where people wait their turn, restore, stay in Mexico. That's what right. you have to Congressman do. Congressman King, what was wrong with the Remain in Mexico policy that Biden had to get rid of it right off the bat as along with the Keystone Pipeline? There was nothing wrong with it, but he was pandering for votes. And he wanted to show he was different from Donald Trump. He wanted to show he was more humane. And it was a disaster. What he's caused is a human disaster. And no one is suffering more than the people coming across the border. People living in the communities are being overwhelmed. I saw this happen in Suffolk County eight years ago when the uh, undocumented minors came across. They were put in local schools in low-income areas, by the way, basically uh, immigrant-type areas who have good people living there. The schools, they they were inundated with kids who couldn't speak English, had no health tests at all. Uh, They were A number of them were MS-13 operatives, even though they were young kids. 
And, and years after that, partly because of that, we had 25 murders in 18 months, the most brutal type MS-13 murders. That's what you're inviting. So uh, rather than Adams trying to come up with answers, the main first answer is go to the White House, park yourself in the right. White House lawn. Congressman's say, absolutely right. You have, to, you have to protect the borders. You have to have an orderly process. And you cannot allow illegal immigrants to be dispersed around this country. You have the cartels. You have the MS-13 types. You have the fentanyl coming in. You have the trafficking. Look at how much the cartels are making. We talked about the other night. They wanted 16 or $17 billion they're making in trafficking right, as, opposed to five, as opposed to $500 million before Biden took over. I mean, what he is, he should buy stock in the cartels. Congressman King, can you explain to our audience what exactly is the Remain in Mexico policy? Basically, that if someone is going to apply for asylum, they do it from Mexico. It will be done from outside the border. So they knew there was and no point like in would, coming there to the border because they, they would jump, be turned away. The right. right. People would be, uh, everyone, not everyone, the liberals, the media, progressives, they yelled and complained. The fact is it was working. It did work. And we had uh, Donald Trump had immigration more under control, illegal immigration, than at any time in recent memory. And it was working. And uh, so now it's not working for anyone. It's certainly not working for people in immigrant communities over here. It's not working in places like New York and uh, Chicago, others where there's already housing issues to begin with. And I have uh, people, you have homeless on top of homeless. And also these people, you don't know who they are. We have no idea who they are coming in. And it's a, it's a disaster. And it's a man-made disaster, just like shutting down the Keystone Pipeline was a man-made well, and disaster. And Congressman, you're an expert on, on international terrorism. You have at least 100 uh, people that they've now said have gotten through who are on a terrorist watch list. And they're the ones we know about. There's so many others that could have gotten in. And, we'll, you know, we sit and we talk about these things. The fact is you get groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS are constantly monitoring, constantly looking for weakness. So if an attack does come, and it could well come, it could be well come from this. So we, we have to, this has to be gotten under control. So Eric Adams, okay, you deal with it day to day here, but the main issue, he's got to get out front. He's, he's got to make this a national issue and use his bully pulpit. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is former Congressman Pete King welcoming everyone back. And it's really an honor to have our next guest on. Chaz Palminteri is one of the most unique people I've ever met. And the night that Bernie died, one of the first texts I got was from Chaz Palminteri, a great New Yorker, a great American, and just a great human being. Chaz, it's really an honor to have you on. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. It's uh it's good to be here on this great day that we remember our friend Bernard, you know. He was a great guy, and uh, the thing I loved about him, like I was telling Sid this morning, you know, there's nobody realer than, than Bernie. He was as real as you can get, you know. He told you whether you liked it or you didn't like it. Bernie would tell you the truth. And if he loved you, he loved you. If he didn't like you, you knew about it. And that's what I loved about him, man. I think he had, like, all the attributes of a different generation, people who are loyal, uh, who are uh, loyal to their friends, who uh, had principles, who had guts, who were patriotic, mm. uh, you know, un, unembarrassed to be uh, Americans. They loved their country. And to me, uh, you know, Bernie epitomized all of that and also the way he treated people. But you know him probably as well as anyone, Chaz. Oh, he was he was always kind. He was always nice to, to me. And I never heard him be like cutting, like real cutting and really like you know, he, he was very bright, really bright, and he really knew how to cut somebody, but he would do it in a way where he would slice you, you know, and, and that, that was the beauty about him. He would just slice you when you wouldn't even know it. And that's why I loved him. I used to say I loved him and Sid together. They were great because Sid would come in with a baseball bat and, Ber and Bernie would come in with a sword, you know. 
So uh, it, it, it there was a great deucem, and uh, you know the. the He'll surely be missed, Bernie. He surely will. Let me tell you. Chez, how would really. how would Bernie have fitted in on Arthur Avenue and the Bronx Tale with the guys that you grew up with? Oh, they would have loved him. They would, are you kidding? Bernie would have sat down, played pinochle, played brisk. Bernie was that guy. Look, he he grew up. You know, he uh, he, uh, he went to Colonel Hayes. He went to college in the Bronx and Riverdale. You know, he grew up I in mean, the projects. Uh, yeah. yeah, he grew up in the projects. I mean, a guy. And, you know, that's why he hated that, you know, uh, that snowflake mentality. You know, anybody who grows up like we did, Peter, when you grow up, you know, at that time we did, you know, everybody had nicknames. Everybody mm-hmm. cursed you out. If you had a big nose, they call you Joey Big Nose. <laughs> if you had acne, they call you Joey Holes in the Face. You know, you, 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 know you, you grew up, you grew up knowing how to take it. You know, you just grew up, and that's why it's different today. You can't say anything. You can't say any words. And Bernie really didn't like that. I, I, and, and, you know, that was the great thing about him. He hated that thing about that. When, when you grew up in the street like we all did, out uh, you, all of you guys, John, Peter, everybody, it's different. You grow up and you make jokes with each other, and, you, and you're not so offended. You're not so – because the world ain't that way. You know, it just – it just isn't fair, and it's not that way. And I feel sad for the young kids growing up today. I really do. Well, I'm saying this as an Irish Catholic. I mean, I should be offended by the things that Bernie said about, you know, when he did a skit on Cardinal O'Connor. I thought it was hysterical. I thought it was great. But if I was in sensitivity, I'd be shocked. I'd be, I'd be having an anxiety attack. I'd be, you know, going to a psychiatrist. Fact right. is, I agree with you, Chaz. People, that stuff went back and forth. That bantering went back and forth. I mean, whether it was races, religions, whatever, it was kidding around. The guys were tall, the guy was short, the guy was fat, whatever it was. And yet, live right. with it. You went on. You went on. You, you learned how to laugh about it. Uh, today, and, and again, Bernie hated that. Today, you can't say anything. People got safe spaces. I mean, how do you expect... How do you expect these kids to, to go through life? I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I know it bothered Bernie. I think Bernie loved the old, he loved old school people. He really did. I, I remember a, when I was in kindergarten, one, one of the things, oh, for even the first grade, second grade, one of the things in the report card was works and plays with others. Mm-hmm. It didn't say yeah. works and plays with blacks or works and plays with Hispanics or anything. With other people. That's it. Well, then we, should, we should all work and play with other people. Absolutely, John. You're absolutely right. I mean, and look, are, are some people racist? Yeah, <laughs> they are. You know, whatever whatever uh, demons they have or whatever their mothers and fathers taught them to be racist, there are people who are racist. And, and you know what? You treat them accordingly. But I always believe that, you, you know, you give everybody, you treat everybody fair and be kind. My dad used to say, be kind. You can never go wrong if you're just kind to everyone. And, and that was the old school way, and that was Bernie. Bernie was kind to everybody. Can he cut you up? Absolutely. But he did it in a way where you kind of liked it, you know, and that's what I loved about him. Well, well Chaz, you're in the Bronx tale. I mean, you really uh, lived it out. You uh, spoke about your relationship with an African-American girl when you were in high school. And uh, yes. people may find that hard to believe today in today's woke world. But that went on. Uh, well, I know you were a young guy, but it went on a few years ago. Yeah, so I was 19. Listen, this was 1968. Talk about years, right? Martin Luther King got killed. He got assassinated. Robert Kennedy got assassinated. There was the riots 
uh, uh, riots, all through the 60s, the watch riots. And what am I doing at, at uh, 17, 18 years old? I was, I, I, I got attracted to uh, this black girl. She was attracted to me, and we used to sneak out. And I love people today. You know, do you know I get people today that tell me, hey, Chaz, you know, I love your movie, Bronx Tale, but uh, the thing with the black girl, that would never happen. And I say to them, excuse me, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> My name is Claudio. I'm the little boy. I, I, I went out with a black girl. You're telling me that never happened? Oh, well, I didn't know. Yes, that's me. Yes, yes. I mean, some people just, they, they don't get it. You know, they just don't get it. Jez, I remember fair. seeing Bronx Tale in the theater when you, it was uh, the play, you had the play on Broadway. And I was right. surprised by the number of African-Americans in the audience, Italian-Americans in the audience. Oh, and, at all the, yes. and at all the key moments of the play, they were all applauding, all laughing, all at the same time. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, and, and to speak very humbly, I have a huge, a huge following in the African-American community. Huge. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very, very proud of that. And when I do my shows, I just did two shows in, in Boston and one in Massachusetts, sold, two sold-out shows. Uh, and that's why I missed the, the wait for Bernie. Otherwise, I would have been there. And there were so many. It was it was like half and half. Also, there were so many interracial couples, and it, and it was very exciting to see that for me. Real exciting. So, Bronx Tale uh, lives. You know, it's a legacy. It's a legacy that I have, uh, and I wrote it. And and I'm I'm glad that I, you know I, it's one of those things. You know, that, uh, I'm the only guy ever to write the screenplay, starring it, the play starring it, and the musical is starring it. You know, and. I'm proud of that. And I'm Jez, proud I would, of I, I would say that you and Bernie McGurk symbolize and personify what Bronx Tale is all about. And now I understand, Lydia, you're going to... Oh, well, thank you so much, Chaz Palmentary, for everything that you do. I was a big fan as well. This is Lydia Serrani of the Bronx Tale. I'm from the Bronx as well. And oh, all right. we, I just say uh, they don't make them like Bernie anymore. That's all I have to say about Bernie McGurk. No, or like you're Chaz. Right. You're right. Or like you're Chaz. Right. Well, oh, I mean, that well, goes without saying. They broke the mold. They broke the mold with Congressman. Everybody in this room, Congressman King, Chaz Palmentary, but Bernie McGurk, there was just something about him that was just so genuine, pure and humble and kind about him. Thank you so much, Chaz Palmentary. See you Thank soon, Chaz. You. Yes. See you, God Chaz. Bless you all. All God bless you all. Stand up, people. God bless. Bye. Thank you. And now on the line with us, we have uh, the leading, uh, one of the leading uh, Fox uh, News reporters and uh, financial reporters, Charlie Gasparino. Charlie, is reality setting in yet in the United States of America? John, you could say I'm the greatest in the world. The I, greatest I, I, in the I'll world. I that. agree. I'll take that. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, well, I mean, listen, reality. What is reality? Reality is what we make of it. Um, I think reality is setting in on the markets that the Fed is going to raise rates at least twice more. I think reality is setting in on the markets that we're going to get a recession. And, uh, you know, and I think reality is setting in the markets that you can't trust anything the Biden administration says about the economy. You know, Even Jamie Dimon is, is upset. Jamie Dimon is a leading, leading Democrat. Yeah, he's just so you know, with Jamie, he's a very um, he, he's like one of these Democrats that's. I, 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 this might not be a perfect comparison, but he's like Tulsi Gabbard, or Gabbard, whatever you say your name is. He's he's in a kind of class, you know. He'll buck the trend, so he, you know, and Tulsi's no longer a Democrat, as you know. She mentioned that. And I think she broke that on Fox recently. But you know, so remember, he's he, he talks outside the box and he doesn't follow any rules, 
And um, I'm pretty sure he voted for Mitt Romney over Obama in, in the second time Obama ran, uh, based on you know sort of leftward tilt of the, of the party. But he criticizes Republicans and Democrats, and he was very forceful about you know dr- need to drill. He says he basically says the economy is going to slip into a recession. And I, I think it, when you talk to these guys, all these Wall Street guys, you know, even the ones that are died in the world Democrats, more so than Jamie, they will tell you that the administration has no idea what it's doing with the economy. I mean, look at it this way. This just shows you how crazy this administration is. They're running around beating the hell out of the Saudis. Now, okay, I'm not a big lover of uh, uh, MBS or uh, MB, whatever. <laughs> the guy who runs the Saudi royal family, I keep, his name keeps eluding me, uh, particularly after the Khashoggi murder, right? But strategically, from a foreign policy standpoint, you know, they've always been an ally. They're uh, they're an ally, at least a soft ally of Israel. They're um, they 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 drive a wedge. They they basically are, are preventing Iran from expanding its influence throughout the Middle East, which is would be a disaster. That's one end. On the other end, the Biden administration is cutting back oil, exp- essentially making it more difficult to drill for oil and, and domestically produce oil, while it's like attacking these guys that it needs to produce to make up the difference. And, and I had, uh, uh, I talked to Sarah Palin before, and she's calling in right. about the uh, five, ten minutes right uh, after very you. Lovely. I love Sarah. And, and I said to Sarah, uh, Alaska was delivering 2.2 million barrels a day, and now you're delivering 375. Why don't you yell out to uh, President Biden and say, Alaska will make up to two million barrels. That, yeah, well, that, uh, they, they, Saudi they should, is, uh, they should do Saudi that, now. too. But, but remember what I'm, what I'm saying here. You're actively going out attacking the Saudis, right? Didn't, didn't Biden say all this bad stuff that they're a rogue nation and this and that, and he's going to break off ties? Why we need them to produce more oil? Yeah. Because we're cutting back. It's so stupid. There, but th- th- listen, the other thing that's going on now, oil is dropping. And I'll give you my feelings before I give them to Cavuto tomorrow. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my feelings are oil, oil was headed for $100, and my prediction was that $100 oil is what the Saudis want and what Russia needs. And why is it dropping? Well, because we're going to recession, that's why. Well, we're going into recession. It's a big, big, big story. But what did the oil dro- close at today? 92, I thought I saw. Well, on, uh, well, I think it was even less. I think it was 88. Or maybe the uh, uh, European crude uh, was 92. The yeah, I saw, WTI Brent, Brent was, at 90, I saw Brent print at 92 midday. Yeah, and I think WTI was 88 or something like that. But um, I, I think the, uh, the, the Saudis and the, and the Russians uh, are colluding. And who knows what happens? Yeah, but why wouldn't they collude with the Russians if we have a U.S. president that's you know, both in the dark and, you know, openly hostile to him. Well, that's exactly, Charlie, it's Richard Warmer. That's exactly right. He has now driven the Saudis into the Russia's camp. I mean, there was a way to handle that all that whole thing. But, you know, by, I mean, listen, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, you know, they are a longtime ally there. They're much more pro-Israel than, you know, others. Right. And they're not Um, the extremist Islamists. No, they're not extremist Islamists. And they, um, you know, and and they, they provide a buffer against Iran. Why are we attacking them? He said, Biden said nastier things about the Saudi royal family than he said about the mullahs in Iran. 
Why is he, what kind of consequences is Biden vowing for the Saudis after, you know, the oil production cut? I mean, what? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I could just tell you this. I bet you every CEO is on the phone to him and say, it's telling his advisors, are you sure you want to go there? Well, how bad could oil prices go up? They all significant businesses that, that interest there. They all know that if we, that they're going to be blamed for any recession because, you know, bank, when, once, once we go into recession, you blame bankers and there'll be hearings and there'll be, you know, Elizabeth Warren will be pounding her chest about, um, about price gouging of evil oil commodities traders, which is it's all nonsense, obviously, but she'll do that. So I'm, I guarantee they're going and telling uh, Biden to, to lay off the Saudis. Well, yeah, the other, the other thing I hear, I understand the Saudis want Biden out. They don't trust him. Well, I mean, so you if know, they cut the price, well, you're going to have the highest price for gasoline going into your uh, election. By the way, the Saudi economy is starting to really diversify, I understand. They're not the one. They're not so much of a one-trick pony anymore. They got investments in all sorts of tech and high-tech stuff. Um, you know, so you know. Remember, they don't. They don't necessarily need oil production right now. They, 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 they're doing very well outside of their standard economy. Well, that was the know, whole thing. A billion dollars a day is still a billion dollars a day. I know that, but they're starting to expand and diversify, and they're and they're they're becoming a, a much more modern economy that's outside of the oil patch stuff. So remember, they don't need to do this, you know, as much as you think. Yep. Yep. Charlie Gasparino, what are you hearing or did you hear anything about the Saudis reaction to to Biden vowing consequences? I mean, there I, I know they, they don't do well with disrespect. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, they I, I had dinner last night with a guy who deals with the royal family all the time. They just think he's a buffoon. And they and, and by the way, when you when you diss them, they're not going to like kiss his rear end now because they don't have to. Yeah. You know, they just don't have to. They, have the they, power. They, they think that he needs them more than us. You know, listen, they need America, too. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, we don't. Well, have, I think they want they America the with a different Washington. Yeah, they don't have all the cards. But, you know, they, you know, they they are kind of like in the driver's seat right now, as long as inflation's raging. Uh, and, and Biden put them are still, in the driver's still seat. significantly higher than they should be. Uh, so that's that's kind of where it turns out. And I don't think they're going to cave. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they're going to play it out till I mean, election day. That's what I've been told. And listen, I think America needs a change in Washington by election day. Otherwise, you know, before you vote, check your 401k plan. Thank uh, you so much, Charlie Gasparino. Right, and uh, talk we'll to talk you soon. soon. Thank you. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. With us today is Sarah Palin. She was governor of Alaska. She ran for vice president of the country. And now she wants to run for Congress, and there's dramatic differences between her and her opponents, and she wants to point it out. Let's go to Sarah Palin. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's, it's an absolute honor, and hey, thanks for everything that you do for just common sense, constitutional conservatism. You, you just uh, are able to get a message out there that's really important for our country. So what's going on in Alaska as I'm running for Congress? We have a really weird kind of voting system now that is called ranked choice voting. And in Alaska, we don't have Republican primaries or Democrat primaries anymore. It's a free for all. Anybody can jump in the race like they're jumping in for this congressional seat to fill the spot that our late 
uh, representative, Republican Don Young, when he passed away, his seat became open. So I and about 50 other candidates all jumped in the race. And some months ago, we had our first round of voting to find out who will take Don Young's place. And I won that um, out of the 50 candidates. I won by a lot. But it wasn't winner take all. And it's not one man, one vote. It's a process of elimination, a long process where the voters then go to the ballot box again and vote. um, And the the lowest vote getters get eliminated out. And uh, it's kind of complicated, John, but you're gunning for people's second and third place votes. Not necessarily do you need the most first place votes, but you need voters to rank you second favorite or third favorite. So we're going into our fourth round of voting. And um, as it stands, uh, we're down to four candidates and Republicans in the in the final vote count are splitting the vote. And actually, in the deep red state of Alaska, we have a Democrat who right now is ahead, which is kind of shocking. Now, please explain to people so they can understand it. Uh, on your the original ballot, you had fifty one people running, and you we were one of the top. Uh, yeah, and uh, and now you have four people running, and right, you have right. how many? Uh, and how many of those four people are Democrats? How many are Republicans? Okay, well, when we had our first round of voting back in June, and we had the fifty candidates, I won out of all the fifty. I was far ahead of everybody. It was it was an easy victory, but. All that did, though, was kick off the first round of this process of elimination. And now we're down to four candidates, and it was two Republicans and two Democrats. So both Republicans and Democrats were going to be splitting the vote. But the Democrats, who are smarter, craftier, more sinister than Republicans, they were smart enough to have one of their Democrats drop out so that the Democrats wouldn't split the vote. So now we're down to Two Republicans, me and um, a fellow who's never held office or even run for office before. Nick Beggage is his name. And then a Democrat, Mary Peltola. So the Democrat is able to eke in there victoriously as the two Republicans, me and Nick Beggage, as we split the vote. And that's what this ranked choice voting system is all about. It's all about making it tougher for Tell us the big difference between conservatives. yourself. Mm-hmm. You, 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 ran, you, you were the governor of the state. You ran for vice president. Uh, and mm-hmm. Now you're running for Congress. Uh, tell us the, mm-hmm. the big difference between you and your Republican opponent. Oh, big, big differences. One, I have a track record um, in black and white. People know what I stand for. They know my positions. I was uh, a mayor, a city manager, the oil and gas regulator in Alaska, um, chair of the Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. And, yeah, as you point out, governor and Alaska is one of the strongest gubernatorial, powerful states. I mean, the governor is the head honcho of the state. You are in charge of pretty much everything. So it's, it's a powerful position. Uh, so that the track record that I established there, um, and then, yes, running um, as the vice presidential nominee for the GOP for the country, uh, I have a track record. The other opponent of mine, Nick Begich, doesn't have any track record. I'm also very proud of the positions that I do take, and they're all common sense, constitutional, conservative 
points in my own platform, I, I spell them out very clearly on my website. People, they go there, they know exactly where it, pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, uh, you know, government, smaller, smarter, please get off our back, get back on our side, pro-capitalist, all the good stuff that our country needs, um, whereas my uh, opponent doesn't really have to state any of his positions and just kind of siphoning off enough votes to allow a Democrat to get in there. The big issue in uh, North uh, America has been oil. And since uh, President Biden has shut it down and uh, we discussed before our phone call that we've had Dan Sullivan, Senator Dan Sullivan from Alaska on. And you guys used to send down to the 48 states like 2,200,000 barrels of oil from Alaska and now you're down to 375. Uh, if you were the congressperson, would you work hard to fix that? Precisely. That's my number one agenda item. It's ridiculous that we are no longer energy independent. We're not a net exporter anymore. As President Trump finally allowed us to be, here we are, hat in hand. Our president has to go overseas and beg our enemies for their dangerous, dirty sources of energy. When Alaska, as you point out, John, We have the resources. We are the Fort Knox of America. At our peak, we were contributing 18% of the U.S. domestic supply of energy. Yes, over 2 million barrels a day going through our safe, secure pipeline. Sarah, Sarah, if I was president of the United States, I would say to the Saudi Arabians, screw your 2 million barrels. I'm going to get the 2 million barrels from from Alaska. Why Why don't you dare President Biden to do that? You should be our president, sir, because that's exactly what we need. It makes absolutely no sense that our president is endangering the people of America by doing what he's doing. You know, John, that other countries weaponize energy, right? They're going to use all of this against us, of course. And yet we're becoming more and more reliant on those foreign sources of energy when all you have to do is turn on the spigot in Alaska. We have the drilling rigs where we go. We have the the pipeline. I agree with you. Sarah, before we go off, tell the people, tell tell the people, President Biden, we'll give you two million barrels from Alaska. We will. And I, I dare, I challenge our president. Look at what Alaska has to offer. Use your noggin, President Biden. Yes, turn the spigot on in Alaska. Let that oil flow and let us be a safe, sovereign, and secure nation again, please. Sarah Palin, thank you so much for coming on WABC. And and uh, we we are glad you are fighting hard. And, and uh, congratulations again. And uh, we'll be on your side. Thank you, sir. We're working really what is hard. Your, what is, what is your right website? Tell us, tell us your website. Okay, they can go to Sarah for Alaska. It's all spelled out. Nothing's capitalized. Sarah for Alaska. Uh, dot com. Is and it the number website, four or, or spelled out no, for? It's all spelled out. S-A-R-A-H-F-O-R-A-L-A-S-K-A. Sarah for Alaska dot com. Well, God bless you and God bless America. God bless you. God bless America. Thank you. That was one great interview, John, that he did with uh, Sarah Palin. 
What a great show. What a great day as we honor the late Bernard McGurk. They don't make them like they used to, right, Congressman King? You know, he, he was one of a kind. And uh, he's going to be so missed so, so badly. Just a great, great human being. As real as they get. Well, what do we stand for, everybody? Truth, justice, and, and the American way. way. God bless New York. God bless America. And God bless you, Bernie. We miss you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.